Hey, what's up, comic fam? This is Frank with CBC Network, bringing you the second episode of Comic Book Curious Podcast. We're still taking a look back at Comic Jam, our event that Nate Lombardi hosted last month, uh, where we had a bunch of professionals come in and talk to some amateur artists and writers to, to give them some tips on how to break into the industry. And so in this episode, we're going to look back at Nate and Mark Russell's discussion. I personally know Mark from his Ahoy comic books, like Second Coming, but he also wrote The Flintstones for DC Comics, and he did a Red Sonja for, uh, comic book for Dyn- Dynamite Comics. So you probably know him. He's, he's a pretty popular creator, uh, and this conversation was really fun to listen into live. We hope you enjoy it, uh, and uh, subscribe to the podcast to keep an eye out for future episodes where we deep dive further into Comic Jam before moving on to some brand new interviews. See you all soon. So we're working out the kinks, and to have some fancy people that are so successful, a part of it really legitimizes it. So thank you for this. Well, I aspire to be fancy. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about uh, your humor, where it came from, uh, and and when you knew that you were a writer? I think you never really know that you're a writer. At some point, it just kind of dawns on you that this is what you do. Uh, I think at an early age, you know, when I was just writing when I didn't have to for school, I was just doing it as my own sort of like private form of therapy when I was like 12 or 13 years old. I think that's when it occurred to me, like, am I, you know, am I a writer? And, you know, the answer I ultimately came up was, well, if you're, as long as you're writing, then yes, you're, you're a writer. And not that, you know, that that title confers any special honor upon you. It's just what you do. And right. so, yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've always been a writer just because it's what I've kind of found solace in. Did you have any mentors or any favorite authors or comic book authors that that spoke to you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to be a writer, you really need to be a reader, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, there were like authors who really inspired me and really made me think. Like, even though I'll never be able to write like that person, I I, I see the value in trying to write something worthwhile like they did for me probably my favorite author of all time was was kurt vonnegut i discovered him when i was in high school and uh then just blew through all of his novels he was like completist and i think he also i think has had a major impact on my my sense of humor especially i think my sense of like irony in approaching the world and but i also you know my probably the first author I discovered was was Ray Bradbury, who I discovered when I was 12, because I was really into science fiction, still into science fiction. And uh, the first novel I ever read was uh, The Martian Chronicles. And to me, I think it, it forever sort of scarred me and forever sort of like put its stamp on, on, on me as an artist, because it convinced me that, you know, the, the way to tell a story is with a million tiny short chapters that all kind of like uh, have like the work as independent short stories or work as part of a larger whole. Uh, so that was hugely influential. And then in comics, uh, you know, was, I didn't really, when I grew up, I, you know, I read the comic books that were available in the grocery stores and the spinner racks. And that probably gives you all an idea how old I am. <laughs> I remember the grocery store spinner racks, but, um, but yeah, I would read like mighty mouse or Donald duck, you know, not, not really like Alan Moore, like right. fair, not very adult. So, for a long time, I just assumed, well, that's what comics are. And I graduated onto something else. It wasn't until I was in college, a friend introduced me to, you know, Sandman and uh, Martha Washington goes to war. And I realized, oh, there's, this is like incredibly literary stuff. This is like the literature that I fell in love with. And so since then, yeah, uh, writers like, like Neil Gaiman and, uh, you know, Gail Simone and, uh, like had a huge impact on me uh, and, and just love their their work. And uh, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways, when you read other people who are struggling with the same sorts of issues, same sorts of questions that you are in your work, even though your style might not be anything like theirs, even though what you want to write about might not have anything to do with what they want to write about, you feel less alone. You feel like you're part of a, of a tribe, like you are a part of a, a, a band of uh wayfarers all all kind of on a quest is is that where your um 
ideas spring from like different issues like like I some do you have little nuggets of ideas and then how do you flesh those out because you were talking about uh, a little while ago you were saying you know I, I have these little vignettes and then they you, you kind of add them up and then they become something you you do novels you do comics you do uh satire you do all, all this stuff how do you approach well let's start with comics since this is a comic book jam and then talk about what it's like to create a, a graphic novel or 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 a full novel without graphics or, or whatever. Talk about that, that journey for our aspiring writers. Yeah. Well, a lot of times it's dependent upon the character that you are allowed to write. So for instance, uh, when um, I was writing the Flintstones, I just was writing about the Flintstones because they'd offered me a job to write it, write the Flintstones. <laughs> so a lot of what I was going to be writing about was sort of assigned to me, but the way I wrote about it was completely up to me. And so what I decided was, well, what is it that I want to talk about? What is it that I, I really want to write about, even though it might not have anything to do with the Flintstones? Mm. And for me, the answer was feeling like our civilization is about to slide off the edge of the cliff and that we are, um, that, that there are some foundational errors in our civilization that if we don't f fix them, if we don't address them, we're, we're all probably going to go extinct. Right. So then that's what I made that comic about. And in wow. a way, it worked really well because uh, the Flintstones is the story of the world's first civilization in bedrock. So right. I basically just made bedrock the originators of all the, the the horrible ideas that I think are sending us spiraling out of control in our own civilization. <laughs> that's great. But I think you know, that's what it is really. It's like, well, what is it I really want to talk about? What is it I really want to write? Find a way to work that in, and then it will feel authentic. It will feel... You know, that will spawn a lot more ideas because you have a lot more to say about that stuff, yeah. stuff that bothers you. You know, I'm a I'm a fan of the old movie musicals, and uh, Hammerstein and Rogers and Hammerstein they were on Annie Get Your Gun, and, and they had to stop, and then they they uh, asked Irving Berlin to write the music. He goes, "I'm a, a immigrant kid from New York City. What do I know about the the Wild West?" And they go, it's, it's about showbiz, show business out there. And he goes, aha, well, that I can write about. Right. Right. So it's the same. It's, it, it reminds me yeah. of your story. Find the thing that's going to like, that's going to trigger all of the things that you've got pent up inside that you want to say, never found a way to say them and use this comic, this universe that you've got an opportunity to write as a means, as a portal through which to pour all of that. Yeah. And I think that to me, that, that, that makes you instantly more creative and it makes you instantly more passionate about what you're doing. Well, at the end of the day, they're hiring you for your brain and your creativity. So that's, right. that's what you're bringing to the table is your, your perspective and your view. So um, that that's good to know that you're like, no, they want me in this. Yeah. I mean, they, there's a million people that could write like a tasteful homage to the Flintstones or to sort of, blend in seamlessly with all of the people who've written a character before and you'd be instantly forgotten. But that doesn't really, it's not really good, a good experience for anyone, you know, what, bring what is unique about you and what you care about and what's eating you alive to the, the character in the worlds that you are writing. And then you got something. Yeah. So what type of research did you do for, for the Flintstones or for, you know, any Marvel or DC stuff, like how much, how much digging did you do into the Flintstones? Did you know everything about the Flintstones and, you know, the characters that you've created in, in the other ones, or is it, you, you kind of got the wit, the gist of it. Like how, how did that well, work? I didn't do a lot of research for the Flintstones um, because I would watched it as a kid. Uh, and, and I don't remember ever being particularly funny. I just remember it being on TV. <laughs> I watched. Back then you just watched whatever was on TV. And, you know, hopefully it was good. But if not, right. What else are you going to do? Yeah. That's right. Um, so I, I, I knew pretty much the, the gist of the Flintstones, but I remember at the, uh, even as a kid, when I watched, it, I was kind of horrified that they just kept, you know, these sentient animals under the sink or in the closet. You know, they got like a pig that lives underneath the sink. That's the garbage disposal or, you know, like an elephant, that's their vacuum cleaner. So I wanted to really kind of build the story to the extent that it was, you know, an authentic Flintstone story around that, around the okay. idea that, you know, about sort of animal slavery, where it's just like right. they've got these animals around the house that they just sort of view as appliances. 
and then also about how Fred and Wilma themselves are viewed as appliances uh, by the uh, by Mr. Slate and yeah, you know the large. And then this is kind of the central problem with civilization that we all just kind of like view each other as appliances, as you know, the, the, the person at Starbucks is just there at Starbucks to make my coffee. So what does it matter if, you know, um, they're, they're not, they're not able to afford rent or what does it matter if, you know, that I'm rude to them because that's all they represent is just the person who hands me the, the, the Frappuccino. Uh, so I wanted it to be about that, about how we casually abuse each other just because, we tend to only think of each other in the economic roles that, in which we encounter each other. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's especially now uh, in, in, in the time of, of COVID where we're apart. Yeah. If there um, is a silver lining to it, it's that we've been forced to like view people not yeah. as just the person at the drive through at Sonic or whatever, but as human yeah. beings who have a right to worry about their own, their own safety and their own, their own lives. Marky just talked about the, the gift of reading and writing. Did you see that comment she made? No. Oh, are you able to read that? Yes. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's, that's meaningful. I'm glad you, it's really nice for you to say that. It means a lot. Yeah. Um, Marky's a great writer herself. Uh, there's great. And, uh, they're creating a uh, a comic right now with that's fantastic, and they'll be writing uh, it. So I highly recommend this as a medium because you know it's one of the few visual mediums. It's like it's the other visual mediums are like TV and movies, and you need millions of dollars, and you have to deal with executives looking over your shoulder or focus groups ruining everything that was unique about your vision in order to get a TV show or a movie made. But a comic, you can just get a bunch of friends together and have a, a couple of them know how to draw or color and you can create a visual story as crazy and as unauthorized as you can possibly imagine to me it's like you know you, you know if you if you go to a major corporation like say you go to like general electric and and uh and you see like a room full of people working on like you know a slightly better light bulb and those are the scientists who are making all the money but then down the hall there might be one person who's like working in a tiny office by themselves and they're working on time travel and to me, that's sort of what, the way I think of comics. It's like, if you're writing a comic, if you're drawing a comic, you should be the one scientist working on time travel. You're dealing with big issues and stories that couldn't be made otherwise because you're not, ex because the other stories are expected to make billions of dollars for the company. Right. That's, that's, that's a great point. And Tini said something similar to that uh, about the, the joys of writing comics versus other mediums. Uh, and that's why, that's why she loves it. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking, speaking of, of, of that, what advice might you have for the, the fledging and, and blossoming writers? Um, so, so they're, they're now creating a, a world right now. Uh, they have an eight page comic that they have to create. Um, it has to have an American character, um, has to have to do with historical fiction or current events has to be di di diverse cast. Um, there has to be some type of superpower. Uh, involved um, and uh, there's one more thing superpower diverse cast uh, American oh and they has to deal with an atrocity of humanity or uh, the environment or global greed so those are their five parameters to create this three-day comic um, wow, yeah yeah get all that in eight pages too right? yeah so <laughs> tell us how to do that mark like I have no idea how to do it how do you do it tell you know how what, what, what should they start on how do they what, what should they do well I, I would start either with the power or the crisis because that will probably drive the rest uh you know the what what would the crisis require of these characters what, how would they respond to it or if you had this power suddenly that you've never had before no one else has how would you use it to fix the world and then I think as, as you, you're answering one of, the, of those questions that will probably answer the rest. Uh, but I think in world building in general, the, the, the key is to like have sort of an internal logic to your world where it's um, this world works in its own way and that, that it's not just sort of randomly chosen, uh, but that, that this world feels like fully populated. And this is a problem that you're, you're having to solve 
in a way, not this necessarily that you would solve it, but that the people in this world that you've created would solve it. That's great. It's having a, a really specific point of view and perspective on what this world is. How do you establish that in a couple panels or a couple pages? Is that the trick of, of good writing? How- yeah, good writing and good art. Um, I think that it's one thing I like to do when I'm writing a comic is to have like the first couple pages of the first issue be almost exclusively about world building. Now, in an eight-page comic, you might not have the privilege or the, the luxury of spending two pages just sort of on the world building, but, you know, you might be able to have like a large panel at the beginning of the first page that sort of like tells you a lot about the world. Like, um, for example, when I to go back to the Flintstones, when I was working on that, really, uh, the first thing I did in sort of creating that world was I just sent Steve Pugh, the artist, a list of like 12 businesses that I, that I wanted in bedrock because it kind of opens this massive two page spread on the bedrock and just the names of the businesses and the sorts of things going on in the town tell you a lot about the world there, you know, it was like a restaurant called the Outback snake house. There was a, um, there is a, um, like a, a, a store called Trey's bird slavery emporium, you know, there was like a lot of, you know, it's like, this is not going to be like just a lighthearted romp, you know, Great. uh, there and of course slate's quarry was there but i think thinking about that like how you can establish as much about the internal logic of this world and what sorts of things go on in this world whether it's dystopia a utopia or sort of like a future reflection of our own world you know maybe if it's like set in the near future you have things that people both recognize and are surprised by like maybe people don't travel by car or by by train anymore maybe they travel by aerial drones but they're still doing things like uh, uh, like waiting in line to, to get on the drone or having to go through like like TSA security to, to abort a drone, things like that. How do you make this world feel at once instantly recognizable and yet sort of magical and surprising? And I think it's by combining both of those, the mundane with the with the um, mm. with, with the uh, um, otherworldly that you find that that balance. So this is great stuff. So say you had eight to 10 pages and we wanted them, the characters to go through a full arc and hit all those things that I talked about. Could you do a little save the cat thing uh, or a little like story arc thing where you're like, okay, cool. By page two or three or four, could you maybe give, give us a little window into how you create a full fleshed out story? Yeah. For an eight page comic, um, and, and again, these are guideposts. These are general guidelines. Don't, don't feel like, you know, you have to be, you know, bound to this in any sort of way, really, as you're writing, the, the story begins to tell you what it needs from you, mm-hmm. not the other way around. But generally for an eight page comic, I would spend probably the first two pages introducing the reader to the world and the problem, the central problem with these characters, like, uh, the, you know, they're, they're talking about the atrocity or the atrocity has just happened in this world. And then on page three, maybe the character comes forward with like, uh, I've got this superpower. I've never revealed this to anyone before now, but I, I can't sit on this any longer. I got something that could help fix this. And then pages like three through five would be about them. Like, like coming up with the plan, maybe arguing over it. No, this is like, no, we're not meant to have this power, but, but yes, if we don't use this power, then what good is it? And then, uh, and then they, by, by pages six and seven is like, probably where you want to have the climax them using the power or doing whatever they're going to do to, to resolve the situation and uh and, and to uh to, to confront the atrocity or the 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 villain in the story head on and then page eight is like kind of the denouement it's like okay what are, what are the consequences now that we've accomplished or failed to accomplish what we set out to do so that's probably the way i would in my mind sort of sort of outline it uh, knowing that as I'm actually writing, it might change. Oh my gosh, that was hugely helpful. Hey, any questions out there that you want to uh, relay, uh, please send those through because we are here for to support you, uh, the participants. Please send them through. We are so lucky to have his brain right now. Um, in the meantime, uh, talk about what it's like writing um, a fictional world that, you know, when you did... Um, uh, when you won the GLAD award for uh, Snagglepuss, right? What was it like um, 
creating maybe something that you, I mean, are, are you, you have a wife and kids. Right. So you're writing uh, for LGBTQ world and were really recognized and lauded for it and won the award and all that. What was that experience like? How do you be an ally through art, through, um, you know, all that stuff? Talk, talk about that experience and the fictional well, world building of that. I think that the key for me anyway, was when you are writing about someone else's pain, mm. you have to be, um, you have to be honest about it. You have mm. to, you can't pull punches you can't treat it like it's an accessory to your own life. It's like, you have to like sort of inhabit this. This is what the, you have to like, basically feel what those characters are going through as you write them. So that someone reading that who's gone through these things or as know somebody who's gone through these things can feel like I've been there. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've felt that because to me, that's really what writing is, is all about. It's a form of empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you know is you you put yourself on the page you put your own emotions on the page knowing that some people might think you've made a fool of yourself that some people might think oh well that's that's not for me but you don't you're not writing for those people you're writing for the one person who looks at that and says that's exactly how i feel mm-hmm. and so that's what i wanted to do i spoke to a lot of people people who are alive you know back during the stonewall riots Mm-hmm. And and uh, went through a lot of these things, and I really wanted to be more about about their pain mm-hmm. than just about oh look at me I'm I'm writing a story about this character who I just have arbitrarily made gay. Right. I wanted the gayness to be central to what he suffered and what he had to go through, and also central to his heroism, the mm-hmm. heroism that Snagglepuss uses to overcome the bigotry of his day. That's amazing. That's really great. Um, can you, before I forget, because I just said, before we move forward, I, you mentioned with the, sto- the stores that you created for your, for your artist, can you give writers a, a couple more nuggets of gold like you just did about like giving them tangible things that they can write and create? And can you give any tips on how to deal with art artists besides that great tip that you already gave us? My, my number one tip for dealing with artists, I think, is like have as much of the conversation as you can about what you're looking for and what kind of world you're trying to build before the art actually starts. It's like this is something I try to do every time now is just have an a email, phone call, in person if you can. I'm working on a, a series called One Star Squadron with Steve Lieber. And luckily, Steve Lieber lives here in Portland. So we're able to go get sandwiches and like just hang out for a day. We talked a lot about what we wanted the the buildings to look like. We, how we wanted the the buildings to look sort of like shabby uh, corporate commercial parks from the 1970s. uh, And, and uh, about what the characters would look like. And and I think because we got a lot of that out of the way to begin with, and we were both on the same page of what kind of world this was and who, what things would look like it saved us so much grief later on from having to go back and say, this doesn't work. Or, you know, could you change this? Because artists spend way more time on their craft than writers do. Um, mm. I'll tell you in comics, the art is really the time consuming. It, you are working around the art because it is the most time consuming part of the process. So everything you can do to make sure that they waste as little of their time as possible mm. is a good thing. Um, I also so, want to, like, I saw someone had a question up there in the comments. I wanted to, to um, oh, talk yeah. about uh, Ray Sunshine says, what are the most common mistakes that you see in world building in comics? And I think for me, one of the biggest ones is that, that you did not think about your world enough before you started writing the comic, mm-hmm. like you had enough world building for one issue. And then after that, nothing really happens or evolves in your comic. And so I think that the, the, the worlds that really work for me, and I think probably for most people, considering that they tend to be the most successful fantasy and science fiction stories, are the ones where you create more world than you will actually use. You know, things like Star Wars or, um, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien's, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings. It's like he created this enormous universe that was way too big for, you know, the, the, the story he wanted to tell. But that was okay because then if once the characters are working in this, this universe, it feels fully realized. It doesn't feel like a guy's making stuff up as he goes along. It feels like this is a real, a real world that exists somewhere and it's expansive enough that I I'm confident. I'm not seeing everything 
that's in this world. But like little details, like in, in Star Wars, like the, the moisturizer farms and, you know, the, uh, the sort of internal logic of how Tatooine works versus how, you know, like Endor works. I think to me that that says that this person spent a lot of time thinking about the world. And so when I'm dropped on a new planet or I'm with new characters, it feels organic that this is the way I feel like I'm in good hands. Whereas I think a lot of times when I'm reading, not a lot of times, but when I'm reading a comic where I feel like the the world building wasn't as strong, it's because they didn't craft enough of it in their mind before they start writing. And it feels like, uh, like like almost like a like an old animation series from the 70s where you see the same slide of spider-man going right. across this web like five times and, and it, right 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 they didn't think of enough ways to sort of like enough corners enough sort of details to, that they can keep peeling off layers <laughs> of this onion it's just it's not even an onion it's just an orange you, you peel off that one layer and that's what you get whereas so, I, think I really respect more comprehensive world building so okay so these comments are great so um so this is great mark um uh how or let's let's go through some of these and we can you can pick which ones you want or don't want okay uh how to make uh, a show don't tell play out in comic book writing the balance seems different than in other visuals number two what part of your thought process doesn't fully get explained to other people like the best way to explain the story to an artist those are gotcha. Yeah, those are both good questions. I'll start yeah. with the uh, the first one because I think that's really important because one of the, the, the advantages you have in doing a comic versus other medium is that you get you can live inside the character, uh, inside the, the head of a character because it's part literature, part visual medium. So like you're reading a novel, it's like you can live almost exclusively in the head of a character. You know what they're thinking because they're telling you directly in a movie or TV show, you rarely know what the character is thinking. It's all kind of through the action and what they're saying, but comics is kind of a good marriage of the two. You've got mm-hmm. like the captions and whatnot that tell you that where you can have someone kind of narrating their story. Uh, but at the same time, you've got the, the visual action. And I think that that, to me, that's where the division needs to happen. It's like you, the things that are, that need to be told, are generally the interior states of the characters, the things they're thinking about, their sort of, in, you know, moral and emotional journey, which you can do through captioning and you can do through, um, you know, through, through, through telling. And then there's the story, which needs mm-hmm. to be done through showing, the, the events of the plot. And uh, what you don't want to have is like, you know, Superman's head in the corner and then talking in this giant bubble about all the things that he's looking at off panel, mm. you know, just to, just show those things that he's looking at in the panel. Got Plus, it. One thing I'd like to do, you know, cause I, I'm a bit of a, um, I'm a bit long winded myself. So one of the things I like to do when I'm writing a monologue uh, is that I, because I'm writing a comic, I don't need to just show one person talking the whole time. There's they're giving a monologue. I can show things, uh, I could show something, a scene halfway around the world that demonstrates what they're talking about. Mm. I could show a scene from a battle or something that like, while they're talking about like the futility of war Uh, in comics, you have this freedom to like, you know, make something that should just be a sea of words on a page, suddenly visually interesting because you're illustrating, not necessarily the events of the plot, but the events of the, or, you know, illustrating what's happening inside that the monologue of that person. We have three, before we get to that second question, we have three person teams. So we have writer, illustrator, colorist, basically, and they're, they're, they're all sharing the the responsibilities, right? So we have exclusive writers um, and two of them are here, or at least two are, I don't know if the, the, the corner, but I see Maya and Marky. Um, uh, uh, So can you, in this short time frame? Oh, great. There I see Max. Who's in the, who's in the top corner? I can't see the uh the name uh, isaac isaac great okay cool so here are some of our participants mark um hey, this is really exciting um i guess we got some questions for you live which is great and also uh my question for you uh to kind of spark to sh- shove this thing off is um what would your advice be to these writers to working in this very short medium that we're creating 
Should they uh, delegate duties? Oh, you go work on the stores. You go work on the thing. Like how, how do they get the most out of their teams for this three days? Uh, because as you said, you should have the story done first. Like everything should be pretty solid before you put that time into creating the art. So maybe how do we utilize our teams best uh, in the story building? And then I will pass it to, we'll go uh, through, through some questions from... Uh, because you are working with the short timeline in production, yeah. I, I would um, not, I would avoid like a writer room situation where you have everybody just sort of like talking over each other's ideas and taking ideas apart and putting them back together because that's time consuming. It works a lot of the time, but it's very time consuming. Since you, you have assigned writers, I would, once you all agree upon what the outline is your story, like pages one to two are going to be this, pages three through five are going to be that, six and seven this, I would, I would assign specific scenes to specific writers. And then you could have like, you know, a period when, when once everybody's written their pages and they've, they've, you've recombined them, knowing what the, the story is generally going to, to do, then you can sort of like get back together and have that writer's room experience where you say, well, this this would transition smoothly from my page to your page if we did this. Oh, no, let me, I'm sorry if I, I was unclear. So we have one writer per team. Oh, I see. Uh, so we have five teams, one writer gotcha. per team, and we got an illustrator, a writer, and uh, colorists per team. I see. So you so only have one writer for the whole thing. For, for, each, for each zine, we'll have one main writer, okay. and they can get inf information or work with, other, with their teammates to create this story. So as the head writer of your team, uh, you know, you know, I, I love the idea of, of you putting together, like what happens page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like that makes a lot of sense. So any other tips like that, just yeah. for practical reasons right now, as they're moving forward this week. Yes. I want the, the, the best thing you could do to help your artists. I think when you're, when you're writing on a short timeline, especially, you know, a short comic is not overcrowd your, your page with panels that the, the fewer panels you have, uh on a page the more freedom your artist has and the more visual your comic will be so maybe if it's the if a page is just two people having a conversation on that page you can crowd in like six or seven panels but if, if you are having action in a, in a on a page like a spaceship blowing up and somebody else you know firing on another spaceship maybe maybe consider trying to do all that and no more than four panels, like two to four panels. So think about panel conversation, uh, conservation. And also that allows your, that gives your artist more input into what is important on the page. Whereas if you're forcing an artist to divide a page into seven or eight panels, there's almost no freedom. They're, the spaces are tiny, they're the size of postage stamps. So all they can really draw are like people's heads or, you know, or like a, like a separate object. Um, so the fewer panels you cram into a page, the more freedom the artist has in combining images together and having multiple elements working in a panel together. And I think that that's always more visually exciting. Cool. Marky, if we're doing a past event, how do you stay true to that while putting your own twist on it? That's a good question. And I think that, uh, the, 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 the big, I've never seen historical fiction that was, that was a hundred percent true to the the past there's always it's always really about the present it's always really about us but you want it to feel authentic you want it to feel like this this is credible these are people that have done some research so i think that's where the artist becomes especially important if you could have period specific clothing hair uh language if you, the, the 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 patois of the the people reflects that of the era in which you are talking that always gives you instant credibility that I think allows you to then take some liberties with like the actual events. That's great. What part of your thought process doesn't get fully explained to other people? Like the best way you can explain your story to an artist. Yeah. I, I found as I've gone on that I'm including in my panel notes to my artist more and more about the emotional states of the characters. Uh, because a lot of times I would just write, you know, Henry speaks to Janet and <laughs> You know, they're having like a serious conversation. Maybe Janet's mother has just died and Henry's got this big smile on his face, you know, and he's like walking in the room like he's, he's, you want to bet or something. So you have to sort of say Janet's mother has just died. Henry is trying to console her in the, the panel notes. So the artist gets that information. Otherwise, you know, you could, 
the 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 scene could be completely tonally wrong for what you're trying to get across if you don't include those. So I think the more information you can give an artist, not only about what's happening physically inside a panel, but you know what is going on inside the mind of the characters in that panel, helps a lot. Helps them get the right sort of emotional tone for the for the panel. That's great. So how early to storyboard, uh, if at all, is is Bart's question? Great question. I'd say as soon as you have ideas, there's real. the good thing about storyboarding is that it's not set in stone and you don't have to like spend a lot of time drawing. It can be stick figures. Mm-hmm. So I'd say as soon as you start having ideas, just start like outlining storyboarding, knowing that as you go over the story in your head, you realize things aren't going to work or that there's a better way to do something. You'll just erase it and start over and, and, and do more. But I think that, that, yeah, that you approach that part of the process, the sort of early outlining and storyboarding, knowing that that it's not written in stone and that you are going to be changing this probably multiple times before you get to the story to what, what you actually want it to be. Great. Any other questions from y'all? I'm sure I'm 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 sure you do have questions. Um, yeah, Bart loved that. Great. Um, how about, uh, I can ask some more. Do we have any, do we shake your head? Yes or no. If you have any questions, uh, so I can see or just type them in. Um, what, okay. So hold on a second. Um, how important for for you is the art in the style like what uh do you do you give descriptors you know this is you know for your artist do you just completely give them that or say how 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 much description do you give them you just talked about the emotional arc and the emotional yeah you know but like do you say do you do you err on the side of over specificity or not i think i i try to err on the side of over specificity now just mm-hmm. because I've had so many instances in the past where I wasn't specific enough mm-hmm. that um, something gets lost in translation and the scene comes out wrong. Uh, but I think also you can tell the artist in the panel notes what they should feel free to ignore or what they should feel free to like change. If they like one thing I'll do is if, I'll, if I'm breaking a, a page into like say six panels, I'll leave a note saying, feel free to use as many or as few panels as you want as long as this information gets conveyed or, um, or you, I will have a suggestion like he is falling into a trap, you know, maybe it's a fire trap or maybe he's getting devoured by, uh, by a man eating plant up to you. And then the, the artist says, okay, well, I, I, I get the idea. There's somebody who's being devoured by something and I get to choose what I want to draw. I think will make the most vi- the biggest visual impact. So let your artists know not only what you want, but also what, what sort of freedom they have to ignore your notes and go their own way. I want to go back to the, the question. Uh, what are the most common mistakes? What are the common mistakes that they could make right now? And what do you, what do you think that they would be spending too much time on? Or what do you think that, that, you know, is there any tips you can give them to, to kind of, I don't know, make it a little bit, I think the, the, the idea of storyboarding and, and the, the pages, I think that will really help. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the big one, which we've already gone over, is don't overload the pages with, with too many panels. It's always easier if you have a page divided into like two or three panels to add more panels as okay. necessary than it is to like take them out once you've already kind of written them in. Uh, but also, I think, you know, um, be, be open to change. Be open to like the story rewriting itself don't get too um invested in an idea or uh, just because it was the first thing you wrote that you won't go back and change it because a lot of times when i'm editing and rewriting which is actually what i spend most of my time on is rewriting Mm. uh like changing what i've already written is what like like 75 percent of the process for me Mm. uh a, a lot of the time i end up throwing out the 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 original ideas i had the first things i had and going, but you know, you, you begin to sort of like learn to trust the story to sort of write itself that the story, what the story needs is more important than what you had tried to force on it at the beginning. You're, you write with a, a humorous overtone, a, most of the, a lot of the time. Is that something that 
you go back and do the humor. You're like, you, you got the story thing and then you're, and then you, the humor comes last, like, or does it come from uh, attitude that you, that you're conveying? How, how do you add that humor? Cause that's going to, they're going to be getting bonus points for adding humor. So tell us about <laughs> well, it. I think the humor is kind of present in every part of the process, but I usually okay. start with, you know, the story and you can have humor in the story. Like maybe something happens that's ironic or, or, you know, something really horrible happens to somebody uh, that, that, that's kind of funny. Um, you know, that, that's sort of humor that gets baked in really early. But then the sort of humor that comes from dialogue, like one-liners or sick burns or, or whatever, that's the sort of thing that comes later uh, as you're actually writing the dialogue, I think. So map out the story and, you know, there might be funny events, events that are just are inherently funny when they happen in the story. Uh, but, but then, you know, the, when you're, when you're getting into like the actual details, like, like the writing of the dialogue or maybe background details, there's like a funny poster in the background or something. Those are the sorts of things that generally come towards the end of the process. Okay. Wow. Okay. So uh, 75% of your writing is rewriting. That blows my mind. So, uh, you know, here I thought that the writers were going to be, um, you know, the first, the first bullet out of the gun, and then they would kind of help with other things, but they're going to be seeing the artwork. They're going to be readjusting stuff. They're going to try to add some humor while it's going on and rewriting the, till the very well, last moment. Is that, this is, that hopefully I've done like a lot of rewriting before the artist even sees it. I do okay. a lot of generally, this is the way um, working for like DC or Marvel. This is the way my process usually works. I, I write, you know, a script, uh, realize that it's probably not very good. So I go back through and write it again. And then when I get to feel like, okay, this is ready. This is good enough for me to show another human being that I, that I send it to my editor. The artist still hasn't seen it yet. The editor says, no, this is not ready to be seen by another human being and sends it back to me with notes. And then I write it, rewrite it again with the editor's notes, like things that they didn't understand or things that, that didn't work for them. And then I said, basically this is my third script. Now I'm sending back to the editor and the editor is like, okay, yes, this is this is ready for an artist. And then they give it to an artist. And the artist draws what I've written. And then once the artist has drawn it all, then and we're ready for, and, and then colored it, then we're ready for lettering. And I change what I've written yet again when we're going through the the, the lettering because I realized, oh, this this line is too clunky. It needs to have like four or five less words in it. I can make this sharper, or I just think of something a better one-liner than I had originally come up with to fill a, a balloon. So it gets changed yet again in the lettering process, but there's a lot of back and forth, but the, the key again, as I said earlier, is to waste as little of the artist's time as possible because they have uh, a much more time consuming job than anybody else on the project. Uh, okay, sorry about that. Any other questions? Uh, how, how about you? Uh, do you have any other questions, um, Maya or Isaac or Marky? Yeah, so Bart just said, voiding the wall of text is so hard, and it is. And I think a lot of what is valuable about the rewriting process is you learn to sort of, as you're reading your words again for the second time, you begin to sort of realize which ones you don't need, which ones are sort of like, don't, aren't really doing any work uh, sometimes there'll be whole panels or even pages that aren't doing any work, aren't telling you anything about the characters or moving the story forward in any meaningful way. And you need to scrap them entirely and, and replace them with something that, that, that needs to be there. Yeah. Okay, good. The wall of text is your concern. Yeah. Great. Yeah. The wall of text is a good, it's a good thing to be wary of uh, because yeah, it completely defeats the purpose of doing a comic. Let the art, <laughs> That's another thing, too, as you're going through and you're writing, think about what it is. If, if there's anything that the, your character is saying that could be shown in the panel visually, take it out of the dialogue and put it in the, the notes for the panel for the artist. Because if you can show it visually in a visual medium, show it visually. Don't don't have a character say it. That's great. Uh, uh, Maya's concerned about pacing. OK, can you speak to that, Mark? Yeah, and I think that's probably the chief advantage you get from uh, from outlining and sort of storyboarding beforehand is you get like an early crack at your pacing and you can kind of like figure out, yeah, this is the way it should go. This is kind of like the, this makes sense from a reader standpoint of like how 
things go. So I think that, you know, if, if you're just writing from page one to the end without any idea of how you're going to space the story out, then you're going to be writing as if you have all the time in the world. Maybe you spend the first five pages just like, you know, walking through a park talking and then you've got three pages to like fight the giant spider and, you know, find the golden horde and return to the princess, you know, you know, so uh, pacing is, is done, I think, largely by, by pre-planning, how, you know, what you're, where you want your most viable real estate to be and not just sort of writing as though you have all the time in the world. Did you see that? Should I, as the artist, suggest changes to writing when the walls of text are confusing? Yeah, I think w- one of the things that's really helpful is when you get notes from the artist. Uh, is sometimes the artist will say, this would be a lot easier to convey if I just had, if I just moved this panel to the next page, or if I just uh, combine these two panels into one, it would give you a lot more space. Um, or the, sometimes they'll say, the text that you've written for this panel is not going to fit with the amount of art I have in there. And those are really helpful conversations to have. And, and generally the artist's instincts uh, are, 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 you know, you want to work around those because you want the story to work visually first and foremost. So if it means cutting a line or moving balloons around to other panels that aren't as heavy, heavily populated with words, so you can leave as much space for all the details and elements you've got in the, in the artwork. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think those are, those are good things. Generally, you could solve those problems just by moving word balloons around and by economizing your dialogue, cutting out lines and words that don't need to be there. So, so, so as, as the writers, um, they're going to create a page, page one, panel one, two, three, four, five, or whatever, one, two, page two, panel one, two, three, four, five, it's been a three, like that, that's, that's how you start, or do you start with page one, page two, page two, and then you, like, how do you, how do you structure that as a writer? Um, um, I usually don't start right at page one. I usually start with the scene I, I want to build the, the story around. So sometimes I start at the end. Sometimes I write the final two pages first. So I know that I've got this major cliffhanger or this twist and so i write that first because that will tell me everything i need to get up to and and, you know i I build out from like what i think is going to be the most important scene in the story i rarely just start at one and just go chronologically through because then yeah it's harder to pace as you're writing in your mind because you write like well i've got a you know i got all the time in the world to tell this story whereas if you start with like the climax or the most important scene of the story then you, you, it's a lot easier to pace because you've already gotten the thing that you're leading up to out of the way. That's awesome. That's great advice. Um, great questions, everybody. Uh, what, what else could we do to help you um, start with the climax? That's so good. Yeah, um, if you, it really helps if, if when you're writing your story, you know how it's going to end when you, before you start writing. So if you know how it's ending, you can write the end first and then know that everything has got to like sort of lead up to that, that if you have choices along the way, you can ask yourself, well, what's the best, what's going to set up that ending I've already written the best. And that helps sort of guide your decisions as a writer. That's so good. Um, so how would you outline your comic in comparison to a novel? Ooh. Yeah, a novel is very different than like a single issue of a comic because a comic is generally, you know, one story, one idea, and maybe like a subplot. A, a, a novel is like a hundred ideas, you know, a novel's mm-hmm. a lot of different things. So it's a lot more things weaving in and out and things, characters might disappear for a chapter or two and then come back. So generally what I would, what I do when I'm, when I'm writing a, a longer work is I divide it up. Like I know uh, what I am going, what I want to have from the first third of this book. And I know what I want from the middle part and the end. And I'll write them almost as three distinct books, uh, knowing that they're, they're, that, that they're going to have to meet at, at a certain point. And those meetings are going to have to be, be seamless. But yeah, the, the, the best way I've found to write a novel or a book of any length is to break it into smaller pieces uh, last question. I'm gonna. It's gonna take a one more. Just piggyback on what you just said. You said your comic. Your comic is about one thing, uh, and maybe a subplot. 
So give an example of like a one thing. What do you mean is a one thing? Is that the climax? Is that the character? Is that their journey? Is that their arc? What is the one thing you're talking it's, about? It's the story. So like for uh, like a 20 page, 22 page comic, you're, you're telling like basically a chapter in that, in that character's journey. So maybe this one is about say like, uh, like I, I did a series recently called not all robots, which is about a near future where robots have all the jobs. So the first one is about, that it's about the resentment that this robot feels at having to support this human family and about all the, you know, the, the, the fact that nobody cares about him, that they just treat him like he's the robot and he has to live in the garage. And, uh, and so that's what that one, that first issue is about. And something happens at the end of that first issue, which kind of throws that world on its ear. And so that's where I end, but it's about like all of his resentments and all the, the all of their resentments of each other. Cause the human family also resents having this, this giant metallic being suddenly living in their house as a, as a part of the family. And for all they know, it's going to go crazy and kill them in the middle of the night. Right. Uh, so it really is about that one thing. There's sort of mutual resentment of having to live in this new world together. And then something happens at the end that sort of changes their, their idea of what this world of how this world operates, but you know, the, the, it, that's just the beginning of the story though. Cause the story is actually the story of how they learn to live or not live together. But you know, the, 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 the story as a whole, the, the full five issue arc is more like a novel. That first issue uh, is just like a, like a chapter. So cool. Mark, this has been awesome. Thank you well, thank so you. much. Thanks. I mean, I, mean, I learned good luck so on your much. Comic. Yeah, good luck, everybody. I, I uh, highly recommend it as a as a medium. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you so much. Um, really big. So next is Teeny. Teeny's coming on, and she's she's going to actually receive some pitches from our writers of stuff of universes nice. they've already created, uh, and they get five or six minutes to pitch their you know one one uh, I or their universes. So that's great. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. Um, wow, so cool. Well, I'll send you a link to these to these zines when they're done, so you can, you know, peruse through them if you want. Um, and we'll yeah. see you. Actually, you're going to be there to help judge. Is that is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Cool. So, and the cool thing is, we're going to have we're going to submit these to um, to a, a compilation. So, um, maybe with you and the other professionals we might be able to then say, okay, you, this is great. Why don't you go fix this before we send it in for submission? You know, yeah. no, that's, be, that's part of the process. It's yeah. largely about fixing. Yeah. Oh, I'm very excited. Thank you. So we'll see you on Saturday night. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Mark. All right. See you everybody.